I'm Carol Coletta, and this is Night Cities. Make your way to the edge of downtown Detroit, and you will find a river. But until very recently, it wouldn't have been a very inviting experience. Today, though, the Detroit Riverfront has become one of America's best waterfront parks. Mark Wallace leads the Detroit Riverfront Conservancy, the organization responsible for turning the waterfront into a great people place. Well, in 2003, a group of you know, sort of like-minded individuals got together and said, you know, enough is enough. We, we need to provide public access to the waterfront. And that was a culmination of a lot of exercises that the thought of uh, taking the industrial uses away from the waterfront, replacing those with public uses, it started to show up uh, kind of in the early 1950s. And uh, that idea just sort of kept, kept coming uh, almost to fruition and then disappearing over time. And in 2003, there were a series of things that allowed the riverfront to really be returned to the people of Detroit. The first is the city had uh, undertaken an exercise to bring casino gambling to Detroit. And in so doing, they had assembled large parcels of property on the waterfront and moved some of the previous uses out of the way. Uh, so the table was set for uh, some, some transformation to happen with the property. The second big thing was the General Motors had purchased the Renaissance Center, and so they took what had been previously called sort of the back of the Renaissance, which is the water view, ironically, and opened that up with a huge three-story atrium that points right at the Detroit River. And they built the first portion of the Riverwalk and contributed that to the Detroit Riverfront Conservancy in conjunction with a gift from Kresge Foundation for $50 million. So you had the confluence of, of city infrastructure assembling property, General Motors with the civic leadership really opening up their entire employee base and their entire property to the waterfront, and then uh, this major gift from the Kresge Foundation, which allowed us to start the Riverfront Conservancy and, uh, and move forward with the planning and construction. Conservancies are a structure that more and more cities seem to be using to do major parks or, uh, in your case, a riverfront. Tell me about the conservancy, its structure, and what happens when a conservancy begins to own and manage property versus, say, a city or a state. Sure. The Detroit Riverfront Conservancy uh, is really founded with the mission of providing public access and, and a high level of stewardship to a very important public space. I think that's what you're seeing around the country is there are places where we know the space is very important and has to be done exactly right. But you know that the civic infrastructure, whether it's through the tax base or whether it's through you know, whatever um, city structures, are not prepared to handle that type of space at that type of level. So the Riverfront Conservancy knew that we had to go from basically an industrial wasteland to a great place for moms and kids and families to come. And that requires a massive investment in safety and security. It requires a massive amount of investment in terms of construction. And uh, we were able to leverage the city resources to relocate some cement factories and assemble property, uh, able to leverage a lot of corporate dollars and philanthropic dollars to, to organize what we've been doing. So if I visit the riverfront today, what do I find? <laughs> You're gonna find all sorts of things. What's great about the Detroit riverfront is it's three and a half miles, so it's massive. Uh, you could run a 5K going in either direction, which is pretty amazing. And our vision is to go five and a half miles. So it's a very large geography. We also managed the DeQuinder Cut, which is a rails to trails project that takes you up to Eastern Market, which is one of the other amazing places in the city as well. What you'll find on the riverfront, though, that's really special is people. And you'll find all sorts of people. The Riverfront Conservancy, through our design efforts, through our community engagement, through our programming, has really created one of the really special places in Detroit where everyone shows up, everyone feels welcome, and everyone feels like they have something to do. 
Uh, we have a lot of programming around environmental stewardship, a lot of programming around public art, a lot of programming around moms and kids and families. Um, and it's really become, and, and then all the athletic and fitness uh, stuff that goes naturally with having a space that's that large. So uh, a bike rental place, we have some kiosks where you can get some food, um, but you'll see a reading program, you'll see a fishing festival, you'll see a lot of people just doing their normal business uh, at the waterfront, which is really great. It is a place of um, amazing diversity. To what do you attribute that? I, I think there are a number of things that make the riverfront ex accessible to everyone in the city. Uh, first is knowing that it's at a baseline going to be safe, secure, and clean. I think that's a minimum promise that we make to our visitors. And I think we've delivered on that promise every single day of every single year we've been in business. Even more importantly than that, or, or in conjunction with that, I think is the, the design approach that we took. Back in 2003, most people didn't know the words public-private partnership. And the Riverfront Conservancy was one of the first really vital public-private partnerships in the city. Most people also didn't know the words community engagement uh, put together when you're talking about design. And the Riverfront Conservancy had over 100 public meetings before we put a shovel in the ground. We really were serious about engaging with the public, asking them what they'd like to see, uh, identifying what they would like to do on the waterfront. And uh, we did all that community engagement before it was in vogue. We did that before uh, we started construction. I think that has allowed us to deliver not only the product that people want to see, but it's also allowed us to really establish credibility with our visitors and, uh, and build a place where people feel welcome and a place where people know that we are listening to them. What is the right level of active programming of a place like the Riverfront? I mean, I know that it, there are places to sit, there are places to read, there are places to look at the river. As you say, you can bike and then and then cut up, cut through the Dequinder Cut. Um, there's nature. I mean, it's it's just a lovely place you've you've made there, uh, Mark. But how do you actively programming and what's the right mix? Do you feel like you need to do that 10% of the time, 20% of the time? What works? But that's a question I've spent a lot of time thinking about right now. Uh, you know, from our perspective, when, when you're launching a space that people don't know, I think that programming ratio of active programming to passive programming is in a different spot. We were literally going from a place where people hadn't visited for decades because it was so dangerous and so uninviting. Um, so our program early on was really very actively managed. We had a, you know, almost a white glove touch. Um, our reading and rhythm program, which is sponsored by General Motors, is an example of that. It's one of the great things that we do. Kids come, um, they're welcomed. Uh, the kids have a little bit of music program. They can dance around a little bit. Uh, then a celebrity reader comes in. Mary Barra was one of our readers last year, reads a book to the kids. Then the kids go, they get a free ride on the carousel, they get a snack, we have crafts. We have about six or eight volunteers, and then they get to go to the bookmobile and take a book home. That's a great program, and it's amazing. We served 4,000 kids this year, but that requires four of my staff, four out of the 14 staff that we have, and six volunteers to be there two hours a day every Thursday and Friday. So it's, it's a massive program and lift. Uh, on the other end of the spectrum, we did an event with Nick Cave, which was sponsored by the Knight Foundation, and uh, Nick Cave came down to the Dequinder Cut. We had about a thousand people down there that required a little bit of security time, a little bit of coordination time. But uh, the philosophy there was we have a great space. You know, it, it's almost like we have a big house and we'd like people to come over and host parties at our house. And, you know, Cranbrook, who's the lead on that project, brought an entire crowd. They brought everybody and it was funded by someone else. But it happens to be in our space. I'd really like us to shift as an organization in that direction where our philosophy is we're a place where we say yes to almost everyone almost all the time. And we're a place where we'd like people to bring their ideas. You know, the, 
pushing one step further beyond that is I'd really like the riverfront to be a place where people use it as a normal course of their, their daily activities and their weekly activities. It's great to have these exciting things like Nick Cave, but I think even more importantly is to have folks just feel like, oh, yeah, of course we're going to take the kids down to the riverfront at some point in time this week because that's, that's what you do. And I think that's really what makes civic spaces special. And that's what brings people together in that sort of public commons idea where they're seeing people who are different from them and they're interacting with people who are different from them. So, you know, the special events I'd like to be hosted by other people and happen to ha take place at our space. Uh, but the day-to-day -day experience, I'd like to be something that we just provide a great space where that happens naturally. That makes a lot of sense. It's something I think a lot about as well having started as a special events programmer many, many years <laughs> ago. Um, but uh, but I am curious about layering on a particular kind of activity, and I want to get your thoughts on it. When you have such a wonderfully diverse group of people on the Detroit Riverfront, I think people, you, you can see them interact in a very casual citizen-to-citizen -citizen way, which is always really encouraging, whether it's a smile, whether it's a hello. Uh, people in Detroit are exceptionally friendly, by the way. You know, whether it's a hello, whether they're, I, I saw the Blue Cross walking group, I think, and, uh, you know, they were certainly, I'm sure there were people who did not know each other prior to that walking group that are now uh, friendly with one another. Are, are there things that you think about, Mark, sort of layering on top of that wonderfully diverse crowd you're attracting to get them to interact more with one another as equals, as strangers? It's something we think about a lot. Any tips? Yeah, it's something I think about a lot as well. Uh, and and you're right, it's interesting. Some of the walking groups that we do, <laughs> you know, people don't spend much time walking, but they see each other every Thursday morning and they really want to check in and see how, how everyone's doing. Yeah, my sense is that one of the best places for people to interact sort of naturally is around kids. Yeah, and, and I think that that, you know, my image of family members sitting side by side watching their kids play is that that's a really special moment and that's something we need to cultivate and, and expand. We have a great playscape area. We have a lot of places where kids come and, and enjoy the sandbox or they enjoy the volleyball court, but I'd really like to expand the opportunities and make the riverfront the best place for kids in the city. Um, and that's a, that's a stated goal of mine right now. I think that there are also opportunities for people to work together um, on projects. And I think that volunteer service actually is one of those other opportunities where people do cross barriers and get to know each other. But it's interesting. Right now, the Riverfront is a place where people bump into each other, and that's great. You have you know, examples of that all over the world um, where people just, just by being close to people who are different from them and just by walking past people who are different from them, it's inspiring. It dislodges you and makes you think about different things. But I would love to cultivate those opportunities for people to interact with each other. What's the biggest challenge you faced with the conservancy? Other than well, money. I know it's money. Money's always an issue. <laughs> well, it's funny. I, I'd actually characterize this stewardship. And it's it's not so much money, but as the organization evolves and as the space evolves, um, we've always wanted this area to not only be one of the great parks in the city, but also a stimulus for economic development. And as New development comes into this district uh, where all this property exists um, and most of it is very much underutilized. We want to make sure that the folks who are currently coming to the riverfront still feel welcome at the riverfront. That's the first piece. Uh, I'd say the second piece is just introducing people to our geography. It's three and a half miles is very vast and we have about a mile and a half which is incredibly heavily utilized. Then we have about two miles where you know, the people who figured it out love it and they get there and they enjoy it and they have a great experience. But most people 
uh, don't hop by some of our natural barriers. We have a huge civic uh, amphitheater, and a lot of people get up to the edge of that, turn around, and go back to the Rensen. And they're missing out on two great parks, Butterfly Gardens, a huge water feature, uh, great fishing piers, and great places just to watch the sunrise or the sunset. So um, communicating to folks that we're here in terms of geography is a big one. I'd say the other piece, which relates to that second, is is sort of getting that first visit. We have a lot of folks who have never come to the riverfront still. We've been open for business since 2006. And uh, making sure that people are invited and brought the first time. I think a lot of times you need a friend or you know, a family member to actually put you in a car, bring you down, show you how to get there, show you how to park. Once that happens, those stories will uh, travel organically and people will come back. Uh, but until that happens, a lot of people still don't know what we're doing. How is Detroit doing? Yeah, Detroit is riding a really amazing wave. As a city, we've got a lot of excitement. Um, the bankruptcy really cleared up a lot of issues. I would say that our leadership on the city side and our leadership on the corporate side is better than it's ever been. And it's great you know, in terms of the collaboration between the state and the city as well. That having been said, I think that there are still quite a lot of people in the city who are not riding this wave of new jobs, new entrepreneurial activity. And the educational system in the city is still um, significantly compromised and needs a lot of work. Um, I'm very optimistic that the excitement, the energy, and sort of the focus on uh, city living will will take us into the next era where we need to be. Um, but we still need huge employers to come in with lots of jobs, and we need to figure out how to fix the education system so those jobs are attainable to the people from the city. We're, we're benefiting not only from Detroit having some sort of curiosity factor. Yeah, some people call it sort of the hip factor. I, I think people are just sort of curious. Yeah, and some people want to see a, a car wreck, so they're interested because of that. They're hoping we fall down. Some people want to see the underdog succeed, so they're looking at us in that perspective as well. Um, but we're also riding a wave of urbanization, which is national. Um, everyone wants to live in cities, and the millennial generation wants to start their own businesses. So um, that combination has really benefited in a city where the environment is pretty wide open, and there are a lot of people trying to support small businesses. Mark, thanks so much for the work you're doing on the Riverfront uh, with the Conservancy, the Detroit Riverfront Conservancy, and thanks for being our guest on Night Cities. Thanks for having me. Mark Wallace is president and CEO of the Detroit Riverfront Conservancy. You can follow us on Twitter at hashtag Night Cities and at C. Coletta. Sign up for our newsletter at nightfoundation.org forward slash podcast to get the five things you should know from this interview and from others. You've been listening to Night Cities. I'm Carol Coletta.